We are in the middle of what we would call the tribulation period as we are making our way through the book of Revelation. The section that we're in now is the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And we're just about done with the trumpet judgments. And when a seal is torn or a trumpet is sounded, there is either a judgment that goes forth or an event that happens. They're not all judgments. Some of them are events. But also, we've seen this a couple of times as we've made our way through the tribulation period, there will be a parenthetical section meaning there's parentheses, a window. If we were watching a movie about the tribulation period and we were going through the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments, all of a sudden there would have to be some kind of a, of a cue that we're in a different place now, that we're getting further information, that we're going back in time or further in time to be able to get more information. Well, we've had them already earlier, we have another parenthetical section here in chapter 10 and halfway through chapter 11. The sixth trumpet has just sounded and now we're going to get some further information. Chapter 10 stands on its own and then we see the measuring of the third temple and we'll be talking about that next week and that will really be an in-depth study. We may actually talk, take a couple of weeks because the, the first temple would be Solomon's temple. The second temple would be Ezra's temple that Herod uh, expanded. And the third temple would be the temple that's built on top of the Temple Mount now. There will be a temple that is built there. And the, the struggles you see going on in Israel today are started on the Temple Mount. Many believe that the Temple Mount will be the place where the Third World War starts from. And um, if you're watching this sometime in the future, whatever conflicts going on in Israel probably started on the Temple Mount. It's almost always where they start at. And then we get the two witnesses in the same parenthesis area. We get the two witnesses and we're going to see them as they prophesy in Israel. So, and then we're going to get the seventh trumpet that will sound in chapter 11 around verse 15. And we'll get into that. So that's where we're at today. And this has to do with a mighty angel that comes down from heaven and the seven thunders that sound. And then John is stopped just as he's ready to write down what the seven thunders say. He stopped and said, not do not write these things down. So we'll get into why that could be in a moment. But I want you to look at a couple of verses. First of all, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Now, this passage tells us there are some secret things that belong to God. We don't know everything. Collectively, everyone in the church, all of the knowledge of all of the leaders that there are in the church do not know everything that is happening. They do not understand everything, does not understand God completely. In theology, we would call this the transcendency of God, that God is not a man. God doesn't do things the way we do things. God does things differently. And God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And there are things that we are not going to know. That will be revealed in this chapter. In fact, chapter 10 is like these question marks, a little revelation and a question mark, another little revelation and a question mark, and another little revelation and a question mark. And what's really funny is how many people will get dogmatic about what these question marks are. I think 
there's no reason for us to get dogmatic about everything we find in Scripture. It's okay to say, this looks like it could be this. It looks like it could be that. I don't know. You guys know what I like to say is I lean towards. Because if I'm leaning towards one way, if I get further information, I'm able to lean back the other way. I'm really careful now when I say this is what I really think it means. I want to have real solid information as a Bible teacher that this is what it means when I say that's what it means. And I'm not afraid to go, I'm leaning towards this direction or towards that direction. We're going to get some of that in our study today. Now, the next passage I want you to look at is Romans 11:33, And this one says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, there are other passages we could go to to show that we do not have all of the information. We are not going to get all of the information. The Bible has given us a lot of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's what the book of Revelation is about. But don't think that you're going to know everything about Jesus when you're done or everything about the apocalypse, the, how things are changed when they're done, because this makes it clear that we don't. Now, what does this tell us? There, there are no know-it-alls in prophecy. Now, you guys should have already known that because there's so many different views in prophecy. You should realize that there are no know-it-alls and none of us should try to be. So in this chapter, in this parathetical section, we'll get a new one in the next chapter. We see a mighty angel, a small book, seven thunders speaking, John not writing what the seven thunders say, so we're left wondering. John commanded to eat the little book, John eating the little book, and a promise that John would continue to prophesy from this point forward. That's what we're finding here in this, in this section. And let's just think about the thunder sounding for just a moment. The thunder speaking, that's really what it says. Not sounding like just thunder's going off, but it's thunder's actually speaking. There's seven things the thunders say, which is kind of a scary thought. It's as if God all of a sudden is now, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to talk to you through thunder. And so thunder cracks and it actually says something to you. And I was talking to my wife about this yesterday and she was like, I told you, you know, what is it going to sound like when the thunder speaks when the thunder speaks and what kind of things is God going to say when these things finally happen? So we get the first bit of information in Revelation 10, the first verse. It says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like his sun, and the feet like pillars of fire. Now, we've had some descriptions of angels in the book of Daniel. We've had descriptions in the book of Revelation. We have descriptions of Jesus. And there are those who believe that this is the return of Christ. There are some reasons that I don't think it is. But they believe that this is Jesus because when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back with clouds. Earlier, when we saw the throne room, we saw there was an emerald rainbow around the throne and this angel comes down from heaven and he's clothed with clouds and has a, has a rainbow above his head. His face is like the sun, which reminds us of Jesus in, in chapter one and his feet like pillars of fire. And it said that Jesus had feet like pillars of brass in chapter one. Now, what do these things speak of? The clouds 
uh, Jesus left in clouds. An angel, when he left, when he ascended in the clouds, said he was going to come back in clouds. In Daniel chapter 7, this is the Old Testament, there's a human that comes on the cloud to the ancient of days and is given a kingdom, power, and dominion forever, and that's the clouds. We're told that we are going to meet the Lord in the air when he returns in the clouds and we are going to forever be with the Lord. So this angel, if not Christ, is giving us a representation of the return of Jesus. And what the angel says in a little while, he's going to basically say, there's no more delay. It's happening. So as he comes clothed in a cloud, it is at least a sign of the return of Jesus coming on the clouds. The rainbow above his head and the rainbow, a rainbow in the Bible always speaks of the same thing. It is God's faithfulness to keep his promises. God will keep his promises. He set a bow in the sky saying, I will never destroy the earth again by water. That was a promise and the rainbow is a sign of God keeping his promises. God's word is faithful. You can trust it. You can bank on it. You can, you can, can trust in what it says because God will keep it. And every time we see a rainbow, it should be a reminder of the promises of God. And with this angel comes that God is going to keep his word. And since this angel is announcing that everything is going to be fulfilled, it's a fulfillment or a finishing of the words of God. It goes on to say, his face shines like the sun. Uh, Paul tells us the glory of angels is one thing and the glory of men is another. The glory of angels is more radiant and powerful when we see them described in the Bible than, than men. And oftentimes they are seen as men. His feet were like pillars of fire. Now, earlier we were told that a star fell or a star came from heaven and was given the keys to the bottomless pit and opened up the bottomless pit and the locust creature scorpion things came out and tormented men for five months. Now, when it says here, I saw another mighty angel, the word another there in the Greek is another just like. So there are two, there were two words in Greek. Greek is a much more colorful language. There are four words for love in Greek. There's one word for love in English. I say I love pizza and I love my wife and hopefully I love my wife a whole lot better than I love pizza. But in the Greek, you wouldn't do that. You had different words to describe things. So when you said another, you could say, for example, I probably won't buy another boat, but for example, I lost my boat here about a month and a half ago, right? Got in a, got in a wreck in Mexico. It got totaled and uh, the insurance paid it off and, and I could buy a boat now. So I could tell you I'm gonna buy another boat. If I were telling you that in Greek, I would say I'm going to buy another boat. I could say exactly like the one I lost, which would mean I'm going to look for one that's exactly like that one. Or I could say I'm buying another boat, which would be just it's a different kind of a boat that I'm looking for. So there's different words that you could use for another. This one is exactly the same, which is one of the reasons that we don't think that this is actually Jesus who's bringing down this little book. Now, verse two, he had a little book open in his hand. Now, now again, the reason people think this is Jesus is because the last time we saw him, he was the Lamb of God who had the scroll and was tearing the seals on the scroll. The seventh scroll has been opened and the seven trumpets came out of the seventh, or the seventh seal has been opened and the trumpets came out of the seventh seal. So it's completely open now. And so this angel has this little book in his hand. And even if it's not Jesus, it may be the title deed to the earth. It may be God saying, it's about done. 
when the, when the seventh trumpet sounds, it says the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our God. Adam and Eve were created and given dominion over the, 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 the earth and the animals that were on the earth. Somehow that got transferred to Satan. Remember, Satan said to Jesus, I control all the glory of, the, of all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, and I can give them to whoever I wish. And if you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. And Jesus didn't argue that he couldn't do that. Jesus simply said, it says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. So somehow it was transferred to Satan. And now the lamb has taken control and the, the lamb now, the kingdoms of this world are no longer the kingdoms of Satan, but they are the kingdoms of God. And this very well could be that little book that he holds up. But remember, I told you in this chapter, there's a little clarity and then a little question mark that follows. There's a mighty angel who shows up, and then there's a question mark. Who is he? There's a little book in his hand, and then there's a question mark. What is the little book? It's like that's this whole chapter. As if God is saying to us, again, there's a lot we don't know. Get used to it. Get used to having things that you say, I don't know what exactly that is, because we don't know exactly what this little book is. It goes on to say, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, this is a, a mighty angel, okay? And he puts one foot on the water and one foot on the land. And if this is the title deed that is now opened and the final trumpet that came out of the sixth, seventh seal is about to be sounded, then he would be saying, I have dominion over the water and the earth, which I think the angel is saying anyway. It's about the next trumpet's gonna say, the, the kingdoms of this world are now the kingdoms of our God. And so this angel is standing on the water and on the earth. Now, later on, in other parathetical passages, we're going to have the beast and the, the, the false prophet and the beast, the Antichrist, coming out of the water and out of the land. So we're going to get further pictures of things that are happening later on. But he's got one foot on the land and one foot on the water. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, which is a crazy thought there on its own. An angel comes down from heaven has a little book in his hand. He looks like, you know, rainbow and his clouds are, are clothed with clouds. And now he roars like a lion. And, and I picture this as a vision. I don't picture this as actually happening during the tribulation period. And uh, he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven thunders uttered their voices or quite literally the seven thunders spoke. It's not just thunder going off seven times they're actually saying something. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say to me, seal up the things which, you have, which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So now he's told not to write them. So there is some kind of a plot turn in the story of the return of Christ that God doesn't want us to know. It's like certain movies that have a plot twist in them. And the worst thing someone could do is tell you the plot twist. The, the, the plot twist. That, that you would all of a sudden know what was going to happen. Because it's pretty fun to be in a movie where all of a sudden something just changes and you're like, he's been dead the whole time, right? So it's just like all of a sudden like, wow, that's wild. And there's some kind of a plot twist. I can't imagine 
it would be the same thing. Like it would just be repeating, you know, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to clarify some things. I can't see that not being written. I, I don't, could it be worse? That'd be scary because we see some pretty bad stuff. Could it be some kind of grace that God gives during that time? No one knows. Now, it never ceases. And I heard uh, Mike Winger, who is a commentator, a Bible teacher on YouTube, uh, yesterday put on his Twitter feed, it never ceases to amaze me how many commentators tell us what the seven thunders uttered. And I wrote a tweet back that I finally deleted, uh, but I wrote a tweet back saying, I'm teaching on that tomorrow. I get to tell people what it says. But really, it is amazing when you are reading commentators on this chapter, how they just can't keep from reaching out and saying what they think that these seven thunders are. When in fact, we just don't know. God's not going to ruin the end of the story for you. But I fully expect, expect a plot twist somewhere along the line that, we, that is unexpected. He's let us know it's there. Why else would he give us this? He's let us know that we don't know everything in the end. Otherwise, we would not get this. Now, this passage looks like another passage in the Old Testament. The angel coming down, being told to seal it up. It all looks like Daniel chapter 12. And I want to read you Daniel chapter 12 to show how much it looks like it. And Daniel was also told to seal some things up until the time of the end. So this is Daniel 12, verses 1 through 9. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. Now, there are those who believe that this angel who stands up is Michael. Michael, it's interesting, is known as the, as the warrior angel. Whenever we see him, he's in battle, except here standing up. He, he stands up. Now, when does he stand up? At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So this is, and Michael is the angel who is over the nation of Israel. There was also a prince of Persia in the Old Testament, a prince of Greece. I believe that there are high-ranking angels that are over nations. I think there are demonic, and I think there are good angelic uh, angels that watch over nations. And I believe there's battles that are taking place. And I believe a lot of what we're seeing today in America is from the demonic aspect of the princes that are over America. America is turning away from God. Um, someone said that we are now a, a, a post-Christian nation. We are no longer a nation that believes in God. And we are affirming and believing things that are nothing more than lies. But this angel, Michael, is the angel over the nation of Israel, which is a neat thought because if anybody needs Michael, the archangel, to be their angel over them, it's the nation of Israel because they are under constant attack. They are so small, the size of the state of Rhode Island. It goes on to say, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, Jeremiah 37 says that the day of the Lord is the day of, of Jacob's trouble, but they will be saved out of it. So Israel's going to go through it during the tribulation period, but they are going to be saved out of it. So the, this Michael is going to stand up. 
in the time that is worse than anything this world is ever going to see and anything that's ever going to see, which is the tribulation period. So if this angel is not Michael, who's standing up and getting ready to defend Israel or to, to work however he's going to work, um, we're reminded of it for sure. And that's why I'm reading this section. It goes on to say um, that they will be delivered out of it. And then every, everyone who is written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. So there will be a resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Now, a few, I don't know, a year ago or so, I read uh, Bart Ehrman, who is a New Testament, uh, his, uh, New Testament theologian, who's also a critic of Christianity. He's not a Christian. And I read his book on, on heaven and hell. And he made a statement in the book that the Old Testament doesn't ever, ever have it to speak of life after death. And I immediately did a video that's up on YouTube now uh, that, that the Old Testament, uh, life after death in the Old Testament. Because not only does it speak about it, we see one of them here. Some will be resurrected to everlasting life and everlasting contempt. How, how is this not in the Old Testament? And Job, the oldest book of the Bible, Job says, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him one day on the earth. The Old Testament has several references to life after death. This is one of them. There's going to be a resurrection. Now, what do we know about the resurrection of the living? We know that there are going to be some Christians alive when the resurrection of the living happens. So what happens to them? That's what we call the rapture of the church. Does it matter to me where you put the rapture? You want to put the, the resurrection rapture before, in the middle, or after the tribulation period? Doesn't matter to me. It's, that's, that's information that we can differ on, and it doesn't matter. But when people tell me I don't believe in a rapture, it's, I just always want to go, let's, let's go back and just look at what the Bible has to say. That he is coming back to rule and reign over the living and the dead. And what's he going to do with those who are living? They're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and they're going to forever be with the Lord. So here he says, some at the, at the time when there's a worst time this world will ever see and ever is going to see, there's going to be a resurrection. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. And we know that is at the end of the tribulation period. It goes on to say, uh, those, who will, <clears throat> those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up these words and seal the book up till the time of the end. Just like the angel's telling John here to seal this up. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge will increase. That's a prophecy in the Bible that has become true. More true now than ever before. Many are running to and fro on the earth and knowledge is increasing. At an incredible rate today, by the way. Knowledge is increasing at such a rate that we can't implement the knowledge before it is outdated. By the time we implement new knowledge and the new information that's out there, it's already out of date. Knowledge is going to increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others on the riverbank. And one on one riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the firmament of these wonders be, or the fulfillment of these wonders be? So there's questions, just like in chapter 10. Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, 
and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. So now we've got three and a half years, which puts us in the middle of the tribulation period. Times, times, and a half a times. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, that means the Antichrist is able to have dominion over the people of Israel and God hides them away supernaturally, otherwise they would be destroyed. All of these things, these things shall be finished. So you have to have the people of Israel in the last days for the Antichrist to be able to have dominion over them. So the fact that the stage is set and Israel became a nation in 1948 is important. Although I heard, he says, I did not understand. And that's what we're supposed to get out of chapter 10 of the book of Revelation. Although I heard, I didn't understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are, are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. I believe that's why there was never really cl any clear understanding about the rapture of the church, the end of the world, until the time of the end, because these things have been sealed up and God has unsealed them for us. Now listen to what Revelation 11:2 says. It says, but leave out the court. This is, just, this is still in the same parenthetical section, right? But leave out the court that is outside of the temple. It's talking about the new temple, the third temple that we will be rebuilt. And do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. That's three and a half years. So it seems we have the completion of the temple in the middle of the tribulation period and we have the 42 months. And so this is all part of the seven year period that's broken up into two, three and a half periods. So there's, there's a similarity between Daniel 12 and Daniel 10, or Revelation 10 and Daniel 12. Now in verse five, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. That's very much like we just read, right? The angel over the river there swore by the living God. And here, this angel raises up in hands and swore by him who lives forever and ever. This is why I do not think that this is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who created everything, the one who lives forever and ever. It says that this angel swears by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and all the things that are in them, the earth and all the things that are in it, the sea and all the things that are in it, that, they should, that there should be delay no longer. Now that's what he swears. Let's get back, we'll get back to who he swore to in a moment. But he swears there will be no more delay. So God has been waiting and delaying for 2,000 years. The Bible says to, to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And he's been waiting for people to come to Christ. That's what he's looking for. God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And every person here can say, I want to be a believer. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Everyone watching this online can say the exact same thing. But there will come a time when there's no more delays. There will come a time when it's just going to be finished. And if I'm correct, and, the, and this opening of the seventh seal is the middle of the tribulation period, then these last horrible three and a half years are going to happen without any delay. And it will be one quick thing that happens after another. Now, this angel that holds this little book swears by the God who created everything. And I want you to listen to what 
Colossians 1, 14 and 16 says. This is, we talked about one of the early Christian creeds in 1 Corinthians, 5, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, 1 through 8. Colossians 1, the section I'm going to read you, is another early Christian creed. They're just getting Christianity right. They're getting it solid, something they can memorize. This is one of them. It starts earlier than this, but this is part of it. It says in Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. And, and this, the Jehovah Witnesses say, Firstborn means he was actually born and then created everything. No, this is the, the right of the firstborn. He inherits everything. That's how he's the firstborn. And then it says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. Not only did he create this earth and create us because we are visible, but also the invisible realm whether thrones or dominions or principalities like the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece and, and Michael, the great prince, principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. John 1, 2 adds, there was nothing that was created that was created without him. That tells us that Jesus is the creator. So it doesn't make sense that this, this mighty angel would be Jesus who would swear by himself that, that he was going to, that there was going to be no more delay. All right. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my thinking on that question mark. Mighty angel, who's that? We don't know. Maybe Michael. And perhaps Jesus. I don't, I don't lean that way. I lean towards, toward, towards Michael or another angel that we just, that we don't even know. But that's not the most important part of what's being done here. What's being done is dominions coming back to God and there is now going to be no more delay. Why can the angel swear by the one who created the heavens and the earth that there will be no more delay? If he's got the title deed in his hand, that's why. I got the title deed. There's going to be no more delay. It's happening now. Now, in verse 7 it says, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. Now, this helps us to understand that the angel doesn't, that the seventh angel doesn't sound and then there's only one day, right? Look at the way it's worded again. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, this is the seventh trumpet we're going to get to in a few weeks once we get past the parenthetical sections. And there are a lot of people who believe that the seventh trumpet is the trumpet for the rapture of the church. I had said earlier that I don't care where you put the, the rapture at. You got to believe there's a rapture because the Bible teaches it. I don't care where you put it. And I, and I don't because I don't, think, I don't think anyone's salvation hinges on it. I think, I think right or wrong doesn't, you know, it's like, eh. But I don't think it's the seventh trumpet. They call that, this is the last of the seventh trumpets. And so it says that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, that at the last trumpet, then the dead in Christ will rise first and it gives the, the rapture at the last trumpet. And so then they go, this is the last trumpet. But this is the last trumpet in a series of trumpets. It's not the last trumpet forever. There are at least two other trumpets that sound, plus whatever trumpet the rapture would have been before or after this. So it's pretty simplistic thinking to go, there's seven trumpets. And at a trumpet, we know from 1 Thessalonians 
uh, 4 and from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus returned with a resurrection and a rapture at the sound of a trumpet. Now this is the, at the last trumpet and this is the last trumpet in a series of trumpets so this must be his return. That's in my mind just simple thinking that doesn't have anything else that backs that up. This is just the last of these seven trumpets. Trumpets were used to gather people together. That's what trumpets were used in their day. Trumpets were used in war to send signals to other part of the battlefield in war. That's how trumpets were used. These trumpets are sending out signals and when these signals happen, the whatever angels and whatever gets is set in motion by the trumpets are set in motion by them. And there's no reason for us to think that this is the trumpet by which uh, the Lord will return back to. Now, um, it goes on to say, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, so this is more than one day, it's the days when he is about to sound, the majesty of God will be finished and he declared to his servants the prophets. So the ultimate conversion of the people of, of Israel is called a mystery. Now, now, let me read this again, just in case you missed it. But in the days of the sound of the seven trumpets, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And he declared, as he declared to his servants and prophets. So when this trumpet sounds, the mysteries are completed. Now, the Bible talks about a lot of mysteries. There's the mystery of the Jewish people coming back to Christ in Romans 11:25. Here's what it says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So there is a mystery that there are only 14 million, I, I don't know the exact latest numbers, but last time I checked, there were 14 million Jews on the world today. Say about 6 million of them are in Israel. I don't know how many are in, in, in New York or Brooklyn, that area, but a lot, millions. And then throughout the remainder of the world, it's not a huge number. It's a fairly small number when you think about it. And the world seems to be fixated on the nation of Israel when it's such a small number, but God promises that the blindness will be taken away one day and they will all be saved. Now, does that mean every single Jewish person will be saved? I don't know. All sometimes can mean most. Like when it says all of Jerusalem was troubled with Herod when he heard that uh, the Jew, the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem. That's in Matthew. Does that mean every single person in Jerusalem was troubled with Herod? Was there nobody they didn't know? It certainly, it might not always mean all, but it can never mean a few. It's got to mean the vast majority. If it doesn't mean all, literally all of them. So they're going to be saved. The Bible gives us other mysteries. There's, uh, uh, there's the, the, the church is called a mystery in Ephesians 3, 3 through 11. This, this church of Christ was a mystery in the Old Testament. There is... Um, in Colossians 1, uh, 1, 27 through 2, 3, it says the living presence of Jesus in the believers is called a mystery of God, that Christ would dwell in us. 
was a mystery that had been revealed to us. There are other mysteries. The gospel itself is called a mystery in Colossians 4.3. But we don't know what all the mysteries are. But there will come a time at the seven, at the, and during the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet that all of the mysteries of God are going to be revealed. What a day that will be when the, all of the things that God's been doing behind the scenes. Because again, you know, a lot of people think they got it all figured out. They got it all wired. They know exactly everything God's doing. But there are things that God's doing that we don't even know about, but one day they will be completed. Then we pick it up in verse eight. Then the voice which I heard from heaven speak to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel. I said to him, give me the little book. Now I think I might have been politer. So I get a voice from heaven. Go get the little book from the angel. So I go to the angel. Excuse me, mighty angel, sir. It's probably what I would say. But I love that John's like, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. And this reminds us of Ezekiel 3, where Ezekiel is commanded to eat a scroll and the scroll sweet in the mouth of Ezekiel. So he says, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter and it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter and he said to me, your prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now, this is a picture of John receiving God's word to give God's word back out. And God's word is sweet, but it is also bitter. There's the truth of salvation and coming to Christ and our Savior, the glories that are truly endless but there are also those who will find themselves separated from God for all of eternity. And so there is a bitterness that is included with the sweetness. And I think we're seeing some of these things. In 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So like John was to eat that book, you and I are to desire the milk and the meat of the word of God that we could grow by. It's a picture of us taking God's word into our lives and there will be a sweetness and there will be bitterness to it as well. There is sweetness in God's mercy and grace and riches and there is judgment and it is sweet and bitter at the same time. Now, three things in closing. Number one, there are mysteries that we don't know. Things are going to be revealed in the last days. There's a plot twist out there that's waiting uh, for us. And when you run into the know-it-all, the person that knows everything, there's one thing you can be sure is that he doesn't know everything. Even though he thinks he could tell you everything, he can't tell you everything because there's nobody who truly is a know-it-all. Number two, the revealed things come to us from the Word of God. The things the Bible says, the, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. The revealed things that he's talking about are the things that we find in the word of God. And I'm persuaded that we don't have enough time in our lifetimes to be able to gain all that we can from God's word. I find myself now at the point of life that I'm in now regretting that I didn't pour into God's word even more. And I don't think that that's going to get better as time goes on. 
So I find myself thinking, I want to faithfully find all that's in here in the time that you've given me. The things that are revealed are in God's word. And finally, God's word can be sweet and it can be bitter. There are definitely things that we're going to read in the word of God and we're going to go, I don't like that. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is that way. The truth is the truth. God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And God does the things that he does for the reasons that he does them and doesn't need to ask permission of anybody to be able to do them. And the world, increasingly, our culture in the United States doesn't like that. They want to do their own way. They want God to do things the way they want to do God, God to do things. And they're rewriting God in his own name. And it's interesting to me that the churches that are growing today are the churches that find God's word as the authority. The churches that are dying are the ones that deny the authority of the word of God and find the authority within their hearts. And there, there's a reason for that. Because how long do you have to hear from the pulpit that God's word is not an authority, doesn't give you authoritative truth, but your own heart leads you into authoritative truth? Then how long does it take before on Sunday morning you go, I think I'll stay in bed. I'm not going to get up and go worship God. If, if, if my heart is the ultimate authority, then I'm going to get up and, you know, have breakfast and sleep in a little bit longer instead of seeking God's word and seeking his truth, which, which gives us everything that is sweet and bitter. May we pour into it. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you. We're able to take time to look at this chapter, how much there really is here and how amazing it is that we can see this, this thing, this time that looks very much like the book of Daniel when this angel stands up on the earth and declares, there's gonna be no more delay. Everything's gonna happen right now. And there are certain things that you don't know about what's going to happen. Lord, thank you that you give us your word in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.